0: So, are you finding, now you've read list this, right? Have people started of us? No? But <laughs> you didn't want to get ahead of the game or anything. Um, <laughs> have people finished the Fairy Queen? Has everyone finished now? <laughs> All right. Um, maybe I'll put in for a final exam. Now I told you I couldn't, right? You should finish it. How can I beg you to finish it? Every question on Milton will have a pair, on the Milton quizzes will have a paired question about the fairy queen. That's a good way to get you to finish it. Um, a paired and relevant question. Um, and that way, you'll thank me. One day you'll thank me. One day you'll say, you know, I wasn't feeling thankful then, but I'm oh so thankful now. Don't you think you'll feel that way sometime? Don't you feel that way like about your second grade teachers whom you were really angry at when you were seven? No? Loved my See? <laughs> all right. That's the point. And do you thank him or her? Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, but now we've moved on to Milton. So, Lycidas, how many people have read it before? Um, okay, good. How many people reread it, having read it once? <laughs> all right. Um, uh, how now that you're reading Milton after reading Spencer, how are you thinking of um, <coughs> Milton as uh, just his language, his accessibility, his poetry? Just I miss Spencer. you miss Spencer, um, yeah. I like the stanzas. I like the rhyme scheme. I like that it was consistent every time. And this, I just... you like that that. You knew what you were getting, and it was it was comfort. It was comforting, yes. Yeah. Words of comfort to quote the great contemporary novelist Helen Dewitt. Um, there's so much Spencer here. Okay, <laughs> say more about that. <laughs> I'll just well, this is for, for next week, but there's that uh, in Comus who says, "Who knows not Circe? Circe, Cir- 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 that what Cer- Cer- yes. Cer- okay, Yeah. okay, yeah, and that was quote kind of, yes. who, who knows not. Arlo, and Cl- yeah. Arlo and Hill and, okay. and yeah, yeah. yeah. Both. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah, that yeah. sort of like line, a lot of the, the ways that he says, says things is very much reminiscent of Spencer. And there's also the, the swain in Lycidas. The mm-hmm. sort of, there's the yeah. swain in Spencer. So a lot of parallels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lycidas is... Um, it, um, is is rich and delightful mm. in much the same way that Spencer is. It may be somewhat more moralizing or not. Um, Comus, as you'll see when you read it, um, is, uh, combines a couple of aspects of the Fairy Queen. Um, the lady in Comus is uh, is a an emblem of chastity who resists the temptation of the evil <coughs> Comus, who, however evil he is, he's actually pretty sublime. He's so charming. Yes. Um, <laughs> and... Um, And in a lot of ways, if you think of the Bower of Bliss or if you think of um, temptations which are officially evil but which in some way or other might be right, um, Comus is not unlike um, Akrasia and the Bower of Bliss, not unlike um, offers of um, very great um, um, experience and very great wealth in the world. Um, the lady's chastity is reconciled with temperance. That is, um, we'll talk about this when we talk about comus, but it's just to put it in your mind. Um, I've quoted this for you before, and we will read Areopagitica. Pagetica. Um, in Aria Milton talks about the scene where Gaion... Um, goes to the Cave of Mammon, and he says, um, the, "This is in a context in Areopagitica where he's saying you shouldn't have to protect people from bad ideas. Um, you shouldn't have to protect people by censoring what um, what is printed and what's made publicly available." Um, and he says, "Therefore, did our sage and serious." poet Spencer, whom I dare to be thought to think a greater teacher than Scotus or Aquinas. Therefore, says Milton, did he have Gion, along with his Palmer, reason, go to the cave of Mammon, that he might see and look and yet refrain so there's um, people make much of the fact that Milton actually gets the plot wrong there um, you're nodding, how does he get the plot wrong? the Palmer didn't go with, the Palmer didn't go with him, him. Um, so um, at some point you can, in some other class when you get a quiz answer wrong you can say, but it's Miltonic the mistake <laughs> that I'm making um, and maybe they'll work with someone
1: um,
0: I kind of think not, but maybe, um, but, um, so what Mil- Milton's reading, or at least his claim, he may have actually thought that none of the people reading what he's written will have read Spencer, um, but his claim is that Guyon goes to the Cave of Mammon, but reason, his use of reason, allows him to refrain from falsehood, and that, any reasonable person reading whatever it is that the Koch brothers put out or whoever, um, by using reason, will be able um, to sift and tell the true from the false, as Gaon tells um, real worth and value from the false worth and material value that Mammon is offering him. But at any rate, the very crucial phrase there is the phrase sage and serious poet, um, you will see, and, and that's a wonderful use of the word serious, um, to call Spencer a serious poet, um, and um, to say that what he is doing is doing serious thought. Um, it's a wonderful use of the word, because um, it's a kind of understatement in its um, opposition to what most people will think of Spencer—that is to say, most people say, you know, Spencer is a wild fabulist—and to say what you would, what you might say if you were Milton arguing against that, you might expect him to say, um, "No, he's not a wild fabulist. He is um, a philosophically dense and um, um, uh, highly disciplined." Figure something like that, or you could say that his wild fabulism is an allegory for his sage and serious. Yeah, but serious is 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 um, what's interesting about it is that it's an understated word. Mm. Um, <coughs> there's I was just reading um, an analysis of an amazing moment in a letter of Lord Byron's where um, he talks about seeing three people get executed. You can find his account of that execution on the website that kind of, its title tells its story, executionstoday.com. Um, <laughs> and it basically, on this day of history, on this day in history, it gives you an account of some execution that occurred on this day of history, this day in history. How did you discover this particular website? I was, Curiosity. <laughs> I was just desperate to look for, you know, I wanted to see about the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. So it's all for this class. Okay. Um, oh, but that was a particularly gruesome I, anyhow that wasn't how I discovered the website i was i didn't want it to i was I was um, writing about uh, about um, leonard michaels's analysis of the passage in Byron's letter so I was looking for byron's letter so i wouldn't have to copy it um, and you guys should learn about cutting and pasting it um, and uh, <laughs> that's the first place it came up was <laughs> on executions today.com. so so much for getting any work done that day uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, at any rate um, Byron describes um, three people being, three thieves being executed and he says two of them were very calm about it but one of them um, went to his execution with great terror and reluctance and um, the Leonard Michaels who is talking about this passage um, is utterly struck by that word reluctance um, that is the terror. You know that's an obvious word to use about how someone feels when they're about to be executed. But reluctance is such an understated word, and I think it's understated in the same way that serious is as a description of Spencer. Um, he's either more or less than a serious poet, um, but to call him serious—that's a—that's thats, a, that's, a, that's a, um, a, a tendentious and argumentative thing for Milton to say, and an extraordinarily well picked word. Um, at any rate, the, that phrase, or a, or a variety of that phrase, a variation on that phrase um, comes up when the lady dresses Comus down um, in telling him about the sage and sober doctrine of virginity, which is um, sort of the climactic moment in Comus. But you'll see how much Spencer there is in Comus. Lycidas is different, although the reason we're starting with it is because it's um, pastoral and we ended Spencer in with pastoral. Um, This shows Milton's interest in pastoral. And in precisely um, what we were talking about in Spencer and what we can now say more generally about pastoral, um, that the attraction of pastoral is that it's the opposite of court. Um, A world of pastoral is a world which is, which exempts you, which allows you to imagine that you are free of all the scheming and connivance and double dealing and complication and unpredictability of court life where there's so much to be gained and so much to be lost and um, so much manipulation going on. And the reason people fantasize about pastoral as they have since since the beginning of time really Um, is it's an idea of another life, of a simpler life. Um, We compared this before to the idea of living on a commune or um, uh, or a kibbutz. That is, um, all of this turned out really badly. All my plans came to naught. Um, I thought that I was a player, but I'm not. But now I'm going to go to a commune, and I'm going to um, work the land and get up at dawn and go to bed at dusk and drink pure water, and so on. Um, that's a pastoral idea, and it's a fantasy of freeing yourself from the complexity of what really is real life. Um, it's always felt as freeing yourself from the complexity of modern life, but, modern is, uh, but everyone is modern. That is, since the beginning of time, the word modern um, had a meaning, and it meant the way things are now rather than the way things used to be. Um, like in that Jack Black movie what is it, Year One um, which is um, <laughs> owes a lot to Spencer um, actually I think there is a Spencer reference in that movie um, I know you won't believe me but I think there is I think I was the only person in the theater who laughed i um. <laughs> never even heard of that movie oh it's really good well no that it's was not really a decent good cast. I was surprised. yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't Adrian Brody on it? Am I remembering yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good movie. Um, uh, good video, anyhow. But watch it with others. It's one of those comedies that if you watch it alone, you'll just roll your eyes. But if other people are laughing, it'll be infectious. That, I mean, that's what Jack Black does. That's his way. Um, can't wait for Kung Fu Panda 2. Anyhow. Um <laughs> another Spencerian movie if you think about it because the big question in Kung Fu Panda 2 if you've seen the coming attractions have you? Have you seen the trailers? Is that the enemy that they're going against is someone who um, is ending Kung Fu so how can you use Kung Fu against the thing that will destroy Kung Fu? Um, That's like the mutability cantos Exactly Exactly Um, So if I teach Kung Fu Panda 2 in the film class I'll have to bring in the mutability cantos um, that'll be good. Not um, anyhow. Um, pastoral. The idea of pastoral is to return to the fundamentals, to the to the basic, clear, cut, uncomplicated, unfalsified, um, to a basic, clear, cut, uncomplicated, unfalsified mode of life. <clears throat> and it becomes particularly useful for elegy. Um, and the great pastoral poems, they're not, they're not by any means all elegies, but the greatest of the pastoral poems are what are called pastoral elegies, <coughs> and those go back all the way to antiquity. Um, so there's um, uh, uh, Moscus's poem on the lament for Bion. Um, and the way pastoral elegy works, and it goes all the way to the, to the present day, but the way pastoral elegy works is that a surviving shepherd laments the death of another shepherd. And remember, we saw at the very beginning of um, The Fairy Queen how Spencer represents himself as once having written pastoral, and then the fairy queen returns to pastoral, and Calador spends his time with Pastorella instead of going to court Um, The reason pastoral elegy works is because what you're doing is you're presenting the starkness of the opposition between life and death. In court, that opposition, everything in court is about making that opposition less stark. What happens in court is someone dies, but court life goes on. And one of the ways that court life goes on is you talk about the dead person But you also talk in a sort of Ivan Ilyich way about the dead person as this is something that happened to the court um, rather than um, the terrible fact he was alive, now he's dead. That bare fact gets lost in courtly bitchiness, let's say, in um, memory of the dead, but also in all the courtly... um, maneuvering in all the all the ways that people in court or in any kind of, of social life, all the ways that people have of already distinguishing themselves from other people. That's what that's what social life is like. The general, all right, let's just say in court, the general thing that everyone in court says to everyone who is superior to them. Every ambitious person in court says to everyone um, who can who can um, cater to their ambition The general single sentence in all of courtly life is, I'm not like these other assholes. And so what you do in court um, is essentially you present yourself as the exception to the rule, which is that everyone else is a brown-nosing, up-kissing, down-kicking asshole, but you're different. But everyone is saying that, and that is in fact the content of kissing up and kicking down. Um, is to claim that everyone else is an asshole except you and the person you're kissing up to. Um, fortunately, school is never like this. Um, but um, that idea then is, allows... Th- 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 so that when someone dies in court, which they do all the time, um, um, essentially you already have a ready-made instrument for distinguishing yourself from them. It's sad they died, but after all, they were one of the other assholes and not me. And um, one way that I'm going to show that I'm good is I'm going to use the opportunity of their death um, to show that I'm a, that I'm a um, deep and sensitive person, which may help me get ahead. Um, and um, that's how public mourning works. So the idea of pastoral is you have a shepherd alone. And the shepherd alone is saying, um, no, all that matters is that this person is dead. On the other hand, and this is the famous fact about Lycidas um, Lycidas himself, that is um, Edward King, the person um, who died, was a person that Milton barely knew um, and he took the opportunity to show what a great poet he could be by writing a pastoral elegy for this guy um, who was actually of almost no importance in his life. Yes, it was sad that he drowned, um, you know um, that's uh um, something that happened to that community, to um, the students um, at Cambridge. But um, it's also Milton saying, look, I can write this really great poem, um, which he does. And if it were a poem of real grief, it would be very different. It's a poem of enacted grief. But still, the fiction of the poem is that there's, there's a fiction and a metafiction. The fiction of the poem is that it's a shepherd lamenting another shepherd, where um, what it means to be a shepherd is to be a student, <coughs> um, is to spend their time as students. Matthew Arnold writes similar pastorals in um, his, his elegy for the figure he calls Thyrsus. Um, so it's, uh, we are students together, um, which is to say that we walked the fields of Cambridge together talking about our intellectual pursuits, so what you do is you walk the fields of Cambridge together talking about intellectual pursuits, but you just get rid of the Cambridge part. So now it's just he and I were walking the fields together talking about deep subjects, but now he's gone. Um, that's how you do the, um, the transposition from one to the other. That's the fiction of the poem, um, but the fiction of the fiction is that Milton actually cared very much that he died um, and was moved to write an elegy out of grief rather than move to write an elegy because some friends of King's were going around and saying, we're going to write, we're going to publish a Book of Elegies for King. Um, will, you, um, will you contribute to it um, since you're one of the poets in our class and since you want to be a poet when you grow up? And of course Milton said yes. Um, so, but let's look at it. Yet once more, oh, the laurels... And once more ye myrtles brown With ivy never sear I come to pluck your berries Harsh and crude And with forced fingers rude Shatter your leaves Before the mellowing year Bitter constraint and sad occasion dear Compels me to disturb your season due For Licitas is dead dead ear his prime so the very first thing is, he's saying is um, I have to pluck the berries of the laurel too early what does that mean? why laurels? what is yeah Vino. go say okay. did someone else have their hand up? no uh, poet laureate Apollo Daphne yeah, so the laurel is the crown, mm-hmm. a crown of laurel is given to the poet. Um, so when people, win the laurel that's originally, you know, when you talk about people resting on their laurels and so on, that originally has to do with poetry. And what he's saying is, I'm plucking, laurel is the plant sacred to Apollo, why? Daphne. Mm-hmm. Daphne is the Greek word for laurel. Yes, um, Apollo fell in love with Daphne, she ran away from him. Um, In order for her not to have to give in to him um, and to um, constrain sex with a god, which happens all the time in Greek and Roman mythology, Um, she is turned into a laurel. She prays and um, her prayer is granted. She's turned into a laurel and Apollo is full of lament that he didn't get to have sex with her because he was in love with her and therefore willing to rape her. Um, but he makes her um, his sacred plant. He makes the laurel his sacred plant. So the laurel is the plant sacred to Apollo who is the god of poetry. Um, god of other things but in this case we're interested in him as the god of poetry. So to pluck the um, berries of the laurel um, in to pluck the berries of the myrtle um, is to be... Plucking the berries, both of poetry, and and what? Love, Venus. Yes, and of love, um, because it's it's the ivy of Venus. But he's plucking them too early. What does it mean for it to be too early? I come to. It has two meanings. I mean, there's Edward King who died too early. Yes. But then there's also the fact that he's writing this too early, or early in his career. That maybe I'm not the poet yet. That I you know will be. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not ready to write a pastoral elegy, he says. Which um, I find slightly deceptive because that's kind of showing off. Yeah, yes. It's a little bit of espressatura. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, t- but it's precisely right that I'm not ready to write a pastoral elegy for two reasons. Um, but those two reasons are actually one reason. The two reasons are I, I wasn't ready for him to die. Um, And I'm also too young to be writing a pastoral elegy, which is to say that he was too young to die, and I am too young to survive, where what I mean by the word survive is its actual meaning, um, which is to outlive someone. That is why you talk about survivors. Um, You know, if someone says, hey, how you getting on? Oh, I'm surviving. That's not a proper use of the word survive. Um, I mean, it's fine, it's not, but um, survive literally means to, to outlive those who die. That's why you have survivors of an earthquake or survivors of a catastrophe. Those, some died and some dipped. Um, in a way, it's not quite proper to say, as in Sully's flight, that everyone survived. Um, that's almost a contradiction in terms. Um, if you use the word survivor, that almost always means, that um, not everyone survived. Properly used, it means not everyone survived. Um, so f- sometime when someone talks to you about a tragedy, you can get all, all technical and pedantic about this, and I'm sure that'll make them happy. Um, so, um, but what he's saying is, I, you're too young to die, I'm too young to survive, but those really mean the same thing, because I can only survive if you've died. Um, It means that you've died, my survival. Um, And the reason I'm too young for that is because I'm too young to write a poem about you. Um, If you had lived longer and I had lived longer and I had survived you when we were middle-aged or old, I'd be ready to write an elegy for you. But now I'm not. But notice that they're linked in age. And that's a crucial fact about um, elegy. That is that, um, generally, the kinds of elegies that are powerful are when the poet and the dead person are peers, because what that means is that it could easily have gone the other way. That is that um, the death that the survivor survives is a death that the survivor himself or herself could have experienced instead. Um, So death comes into the world with elegy. Not only that someone else is dead, but it could be you. That could have been you instead of him. Um, And so those connections are there together. We're too young to be facing death. One of us did die and the other didn't, but we're both facing death right now. Death arrived for both of us. Your death is a fact in both our lives and the same fact in both our lives um, why, so nevertheless bitter constraint and sad occasion dear compels me to disturb your season due for licitus is dead dead ere his prime what does prime mean there prime like you'd expect uh, that he hasn't reached i mean he's too young he hasn't reached his prime or his best right like, like we would say i'm in my prime sort of the best years of his life yeah he hadn't reached that all right so what does prime mean in the line gather therefore the rose of love while whilst yet is prime while loving them as love it be with equal prime Gather the rose of love whilst yet is prime. What does prime mean there? Still young and beautiful. Okay, all, young and beautiful, all but all it has right a literal meaning. <laughs> right. Right. What is right? Death. Okay. Um, what does uh, do you know how to say spring in Italian, Tony? <laughs> yeah. Spring. Primavera. Primavera. Prima. Prime. Um, what does primavera mean literally? Do you know? Yes, uh, of course. First. You do. First green, yes. And uh, anyone know how to say spring in French? Which means? First time. For, yeah, it means, it means the beginning time, the first time. Yeah, basically prime means spring in English originally. I mean, it's one of its original meanings. We don't have that anymore. But when a person is at his or her prime, that's the springtime of their life. Um, that's the time when promise and fulfillment are joining. Um, it's when you still have complete promise, but you also have the fulfillment of that promise. Um, seasonally, the prime then would be when the berries are not harsh and crude, because berries are um, generally um, plants of springtime, fruits of springtime. They're not; they tend not to be autumnal, but spring um, berries appear first. So he's plucking the berries before it's spring. Lycidas is dead dead ere his prime. Um, that is before, before the springtime of our own lives. So I have to so it's still winter, that is early youth. It's winter because he's dead, but it's also winter because we're so young, not because we're so old, but because we're so young. And yet somehow That youth itself is almost indistinguishable from old age. It's all grim and winter, and Lycidas will never reach his prime. Lycidas is dead, dead ere his prime, young Lycidas, and hath not left his peer, no one like him, who would not sing for Lycidas. He's dead, of course I'm going to sing for him. He knew himself to sing and build the lofty rhyme. Lycidas was a poet. He could really write Poetry. He must not float upon his watery bier unwept and welter to the parching wind without the need of some melodious tear. Um, so the tears, he's now dead. Um, he is going to dry out even though he drowned he's now going to dry out but he needs some melodious tear somehow to keep him alive so that's the introduction to the poem Um, almost a sonnet that is um, here is um, why I have to write this elegy even though I'm incapable of it and again you get a classic idea in pastoral elegy which is the dead person, my elegy won't be as good as the elegy the dead person could have written had he not died. Um, The implication being he would have written a better elegy for me than I am of him, but that's the way the cookie crumbled. Um, But it's also a way of saying, undoing the difference between a successful poem and a failed one, because what would a successful elegy be? One that really made you feel the dead person, feel everything about the dead person as though that person were living. The most successful elegy, we could say metaphorically or figuratively, a successful elegy, you know, really makes the dead person come alive for the reader. Um, If you literalize that, the most successful elegy of all would be the one that brings the dead person back to life literally. But elegies can't do that. So elegies are in their very nature and in their structure about the failure of poetry to create the world that it wishes to create, to create a fact in the world that it wishes to create, which is the existence and the life of the dead. Elegies cannot bring the dead back to life. However, Milton is interested in an elegist who could bring the dead back to life. Um, he appears in Lycidas. He appears in L'Alegro and Il Tenseroso, which we'll also read. Um, who? St. Peter? Well, St. Peter, yes. Um, Orpheus. Um, so in L'Alegro, um, he describes Orpheus. You'll see Orpheus over and over again in Milton. Um someone not Thino know the story of Orpheus? And Eurydice, yes? Um, Orpheus went down to fetch Eurydice who died and he was allowed to bring her back on the condition that he didn't turn around. <coughs> mm-hmm. And he turns around on his way back and she disappears. Yeah, he turns around and there's a human skull on the ground. Um, he's also No one knows that illusion. You guys don't listen to They Might Be Giants? Really? You would, would you love see? they might be giants, What? I didn't hear what your allusion to them was. Turn around, turn around. There's a human skull on the ground. Yeah, yeah of okay, course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah. Um, he was also a, uh, a musician, right? Yes. And, and so, how does he win Eurydice back? Liar. With his lyre. Um, he plays so beautifully that he makes everybody in hell cry. That he makes everybody in hell cry. And, um, and uh, Pluto, the god of hell, agrees to let Eurydice return to um, life. And uh, Milton describes this twice. It's one of the linkages between those paired poems. L'Alegro, which is the poem about the um, giddy, ebullient person and Il Earth. Penseroso. Sorry, Murr, right? Yes, and Il Penseroso, which is the poem about the pensive and melancholy person and um, Lallegro is talking about, the mirthful man is talking about um, how wonderful poetry is, and he says um, that if only Orpheus had um, played more mirthful songs, um, his poetry would have been a, of a power to quite set free his half-regained Eurydice. And um, Il penseroso the pensive man, Says about Orpheus's poetry that um, the poetry he the the pensive melancholy poem that he sang to Pluto was so great that it caused a drop, a tear to run down Pluto's iron cheek, and made Hell grant what love did seek. So the one elegist, the one poet of lamentation over the dead, who successfully, until he blows it, Mm -hmm. but successfully brings the dead back to life through his poetry is Orpheus. That's what a successful elegy would be. Um, Other elegies are metaphorically successful. It's as though I see it all, to quote a kind of elegy by Browning. Um, All these people have been dead for years, but it's as though I see it all, um, brings back the dead to our consciousness, if not to their own consciousness. And that's what elegy seeks to do. Um, so, but the point is that if an elegy fails to do that, it seeks to do that, but if it fails to do that, its failure is itself part of its own um, point, which is that to fail to bring the dead back is sad, and elegies are sad poems. Um, A great recent elegy by W.S. Merwin, does anyone know, can anyone recite his poem called Elegy? Does anyone know it? The title is simply Elegy, and the whole poem is, who would I show it to? And that's a version of what's happening here, which is the one person competent because he loves that person, because that person is the only important person in his life. But the one person competent to judge the elegy, to be, um, to, to, to be there with the elegy, to fulfill the elegy, is gone. And so the elegy is in its nature a demonstration of failure. And if Lycidas is the better poet... Then the fact that he's dead will mean that this elegy will be a failure because Lycidas should have been doing it rather than Milton. But if it's a failure, it shows how much is missing. Lycidas, it's a poem, elegies are poems of absence. Yeah? Um, I was going to say that motif of the double loss um, is also in his, um, late espoused it, Saint. Exactly. Um, who gets lost again. Mm, in exactly. The same way, he tries to, to see her. Yes. And she flees. Exactly. So he wakes to find her or forever to deplore her loss. He tries to see her. I waked, she fled, and day brought back my night. So, nevertheless, he has to try to <clears throat> mourn Lycidas, and if he fails, that's the nature of death and of loss. So, he then invokes the Muses at line 15 begin then sisters of the sacred well that from beneath the seat of Jove doth spring that is the, um, the well does not the sisters begin and somewhat loudly sweep the string that is um, don't just whisper um, the kinds of love songs that you generally sing for me but do it loudly Hence, with denial, vain and coy excuse. And now he's talking to the muses, but he's also talking to himself. That is, help me, he says to the muses, um, which is a way of saying I've really got to try to produce an elegy for Lycidas. To call upon the muses is to um, is to devote yourself, to vow yourself to beginning the poem. Hence with vain denial and coy excuse, and yet there's something strangely flirtatious about that, as though flirting with the muses is he needs their help to write the elegy, so what does he do? He starts flirting with them. Yeah, here, come, help me. No more vain denial and denial, vain, coy excuse. Why, so may some gentle muse with lucky words favor my destined urn, and as he passes, turn and bid fair peace to be my sable shroud. So the reason he wants to write the elegy is that he wants, when he dies, for someone to write an elegy for him. So again, the connection that he's making with Lycidas: I'm alive, he's dead, but he was alive and I will be dead. And I write an elegy for him. This is paying it forward. I write an elegy for him in hopes that someone will write an elegy for me. And lucky words, words of prayer, words of good omen, words that will perhaps allow me through their prayer and through their good wishes to achieve peace or happiness after death. So may some gentle muse with lucky words favor my destined urn and as he passes, turn that is, may this young poet um, turn when he sees my grave and as he passes, may he turn and may he bid fair peace to be my sable shroud. And then he explains, for that's what I'm doing for Lycidas, for we were nursed upon the selfsame hill, fed the same flock by fountain, shade, and rill. Um, which means we went to Cambridge together. Um, together both ere the high lawns appeared under the opening eyelids of the morn, we drove afield and both together heard what time the gray fly winds her sultry horn, battening our flocks with the fresh dews of night, off till the star that rose at evening, bright toward heaven's descent, had sloped his westering wheel. So sometimes we stayed up um, till stayed up all night um, sometimes um, it's a little bit hard to get the astronomy right here um, it may mean either that, that some star rose at sunset and then we stayed up all night it may mean that he sees the evening star and that we stayed up past dark. The evening star is also sometimes called the folding star um, there's an Alan Hollinghurst novel with that title, the folding star um, have you ever heard that phrase the folding star? Um, it's a good phrase um, the folding star, because it is the star that when shepherds see it, it is time to bring their sheep back to the sheepfold. So it's the star that announces the time to return to the fold, hence the folding star. Beautiful phrase. Um, Off till the star that rose at evening bright toward heaven's descent had sloped his westering wheel. Meanwhile, the rural ditties were not mute, tempered to the oaten flute. So while we talked and and walked around with our flocks, we also played ditties. We created poetry. Um, But poetry, fun poetry, poetry of love. um, The kinds of poets that shepherds, when they're happy and when they don't have to deal with any um, of life's miseries, um, will will, um, play on their flutes. Rough danced, and fawns with cloven heel from the glad sound would not be absent long. And old Dematus loved to hear our song. Um, so Dematus is a character from Spencer. Um, he's a figure in The Shepherd's Calendar. Um, and um, he is... Uh, someone whom Milton is now using to talk about one of their teachers. He loved to hear us produce poetry. So those were good days, but oh, the heavy change, now thou art gone. So you remember the past, an elegy always will have a but in it. Um, It used to be one way, but now it's different. Once things were good, but now they're bad again, to give you a modern one line version of this, John Ashbury has a poem whose title is "I had thought things were going along pretty well that's the title of the poem. I had thought things were going along pretty well, and then the whole poem is okay, not. <laughs> but no, but I was mistaken um, so not as good as who would I show it to mm-hmm. but um a similar mode. Um, but, oh, the heavy change, now thou art gone. Now thou art gone and never must return. Thee, shepherd, thee, the woods and desert caves with wild thyme and gadding vine or grown, and all their echoes mourn. So everything in this empty landscape, you can feel that it's empty because it's echoing. That is... Um, echoes and emptiness are always associated with each other and for obvious reasons. When you have a crowd, you don't have echoes because the bodies of the crowd absorb the sound. This is a well-known experience that echoes and loneliness go together. Um, So now they're all the echoes and the echoes are sound to Milton or to the speaker because the speaker isn't Milton, as we'll find out at the end of the poem. Um, Sound to the speaker Um, like mourning over Lycidas. And the reason he hears the echoes is that Lycidas isn't there. The willows and the hazel copses green shall now no more be seen fanning their joyous leaves to thy soft lays. So I'll no longer see these trees um, as though the breezes through their leaves are coming from their keeping time to your poems. As killing as the canker to the rose or taint worm, to the weanling herds that graze or frost of flowers that their gay wardrobe wear when first the white thorn blows such lycidas thy loss to shepherds ear so your loss is killing everything else lycidas is death, lycidas is the one who's dead but his death is killing nature itself Okay, we'll finish reading through all of lycidas, it's worth reading through the whole poem But read Comus, um, quiz on Comus on Monday. Um, And also, as you read Comus, just see what you think of the various arguments made by, in particular, made by the lady and by Comus, and to some extent, made by Sabrina. Um, But the great argument in Comus is between the lady and Comus. That's going to be the argument in Paradise Lost. Comus, in a lot of ways, is a forerunner to Paradise Lost. Um, we'll do La and no Penseroso after that for Wednesday and then Thursday we'll begin Paradise Lost proper. So um, have a good weekend. Thank you. Sir. Thank you.